For each of the Sundays of Lent, Amy and I want to divide the sermon time in two. We've done this several times in the past. Each text during our Lenten season refers to some earthy element. Uh, and I'm going to take that element and offer a reflection, an essay on that. Wednesday night I talked about ashes. We'll talk about sand today. There'll be mud and water and darkness and wood. Um, and then Amy will offer a brief homily on that text. Today's element is sand because we read Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness. But let me offer a quick qualification about that word. Jesus was led into the wilderness. The Greek noun eremon is translated the wilderness and sometimes the desert, which makes us think of sand, even though 80% of the world's deserts are not covered with sand. But the Greek word literally just means solitary or destitute place, which could be virtually anywhere, sandy or rocky or forest or field. The third temptation says the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain, and a mountain in the arid region of Jericho, known as Jebel Kurantul, has been associated as the Mount of Temptation since the fourth century. That mountain is also called Mount Quarantine, which has nothing to do with COVID, but with the Latin word for 40, 40 days of temptation. The place of the temptation may have been in a cave on that mountain. For centuries, a monastery has stood there, nestled precariously in the crevices, connecting that traditional cave with uh, that traditional cave of the temptation with other caves. It's a fascinating place to visit. You get on, get in a cable car and you ride up to the mountain, and that monastery um, hangs out over the side of the mountain, overlooking Jericho. It's really fascinating. Much of Israel is arid, so many of the locations Jesus knew could have been considered desert. But this story could have been set on that mountain near Jericho or even in one of the fertile uh, forested regions of Israel. No one really knows where the temptation occurred, just in a desolate place. There may or may not have been any sand involved, but I came here this morning to talk to you about sand. So here goes. Scientists agree that there are far more stars in the universe even than grains of sand on Earth, but there's a lot of sand on Earth. According to a 2018 article in Business Insider magazine, after air and water, sand is our most used natural resource, even more so than oil. If you were going to try to estimate just how many grains of sand, as some crazy scientists in Hawaii have done, assuming an average grain size and estimating how many grains would fit into a teaspoon and then multiplying those teaspoons by all the deserts and all the beaches on the planet, you might get a number like 7.5 times 10 to the 18. That'd be 18 zeros or seven quintillion 500 quadrillion grains of sand, a lot of sand on the earth. To understand why there's so much of it, you have to accept the incomprehensible amount of time earth has existed. I say accept that because I'm not sure anyone can really wrap their mind around thousands of millions of years of formation and evolution. A lot of beach sand is composed of the tiny, crushed-up shells of endless billions of sea creatures, 
or the tiny fragments of crushed coral. The famous white sand beaches of Hawaii actually come from parrotfish, which bite and scrape off algae from the rocks and grind up the inedible cal uh, calcium carbonate and then excrete it as sand. Yeah, all that beautiful white sand. <laughs> it's just fish poop. And there are black sand beaches and pink sand beaches and green sand beaches. Beauty all around the world, amazing. Most of the Earth's sand, though, is composed of quartz, which is silicon and oxygen, the two most common elements in the Earth's crust. The process is rather simple. It's just the length of that process that's inconceivable. Quartz is formed below the Earth's surface as lava cools Different rocks result as that lava cools slowly, creating different kinds of rocks. The last is quartz, which also forms as the smallest of the sediments, cooling into tiny crevices that are left after larger rocks have formed. Then with the movement of the Earth's crust over ages of time, unearthed rocks are broken and sifted out. Larger pieces are left upstream as rivers wind their way to the oceans. When the fast-moving river water hits the incoming ocean tide, tiny quartz crystals get deposited along the coast. Other rocks are crushed along uh, across the eons by the forces of erosion, wind and rain, heat and cold, and are similarly sorted over millennia. Sand is just the final deposit in this process of formation and erosion, sorting and sifting that has been taking place on Earth, according to National Geographic, for 4.54 billion years, plus or minus about 50 million years. The website Online Sand charts many of the uses of sand by humans for nearly all of our history. It's been used to polish and sharpen tools to create glass, used as one of the earliest tools for telling time the ancient Egyptians first created the hourglass. Today's construction, especially the creation of concrete, makes sand one of the world's most valuable commodities. And at the current rate, the world is going through about 50 billion tons of sand every year. That recent Business Insider piece that I quoted was appropriate to business because at 50 billion tons a year, even endless sand turns out not to be quite so endless. Sand is being retrieved from riverbeds and sucked off the ocean floor with powerful vacuums, disrupting the environment in, in, in many ways. Two dozen Indonesian islands completely disappeared around the same time that Singapore imported 17 million tons for a 50-mile land expansion project. The insatiable worldwide demand for sand has also created a black market for illegal sand mining. The Sand Mafia is now India's strongest criminal organization. Who knew? Sand is big business. Given the chance, it seems human beings will commodify just about anything, creating a demand, raising a profit, causing a crisis. But where would we be without sand? Imagine a world without beaches and dunes, arid and deserted beauty. I still like to think of Jesus in the wilderness, 
a wilderness of barren landscape, a beautiful sandscape, seeking himself, working through his temptations, his struggles, and finding God. Where would we be without sand? I already can't wait to see where he's going to go with dark and water and mud and rock and wood. The things you're going to learn between now and Easter. It's a story that we find today that the early Christian community told about the temptations that Jesus faced. And the story is found in all three synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's very brief in Mark, a little bit longer in Matthew and Luke, but in all three of the tellings, it immediately follows the baptism of Jesus. We're told that the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness where Jesus fasted for 40 days and was tempted by the devil. It is at the end of these 40 days of fasting that Satan, the devil, the tempter, comes to him. Today we're looking at Matthew's version of the three temptations. Luke has the same story, but he changes the sequence for the final two temptations. So here now as Matthew tells this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and afterwards he was famished. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city, and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you're the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to him, all of these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And Jesus said to him, away with you, Satan. For it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve only God. Then the devil left him and suddenly angels came and waited on him. You have heard the ancient story. We're fascinated by this story because of all the language about the tempter and the devil. The devil made me do it makes for good drama, I think. But it's the low-hanging fruit of the text, and I just want to put all the temptation stuff to one side today and just consider the issue of wilderness. Peer pressure and temptation, well, we've all been thinking about that since at least about the start of middle school. We were warned by our parents, and then as roles reverse and we become the adult figure in people's lives, we become the warner. But it's easy to get sidetracked and distracted by temptations, and then we miss altogether the wilderness part of this story. And I'm pretty convinced we need to be talking about the wildernesses. Perhaps the season of Lent is for talking about wilderness. The 40 days, not counting Sundays, between Ash Wednesday and Easter are about 
the wilderness time of wandering. Jesus was known for pulling away, finding himself in the loneliness and in the quiet, a place to rejuvenate and make sense of it all. He had just been baptized by cousin John, marking the beginning of a turning point for Jesus. He was at the point of going public with his message of love and inclusion and forgiveness and justice. He would from now on challenge the status quo and take on the powers that were. He would now begin a public life in ministry that would eventually get him into so much trouble because he would threaten all the systems of his day and it would land him dead. Facing all of that, then, it makes total sense that he would need to pull away and get his head on straight. He would need to take a deep breath and pull himself together. He would need to gird his loins and ready himself for the task at hand. In the wilderness, he was confronted by desire, a hunger for food, a hunger for control, and a hunger for power. Physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual desires attended him in the wilderness. Wilderness times make you doubt yourself. and Wilderness times make you question God. And wilderness times give you an opportunity to dig deep. So for today, I thought it might be helpful for me to name some of the wildernesses of our lives and then offer a blessing through these rough and difficult, dusty, sandy places of our lives. I don't think we have to enter the wilderness of our lives with an attitude of, what am I supposed to learn from this? If you learn something from it, good for you. But I think the approach to wilderness is, how am I going to survive this and thrive on the other side of it? How will I make my way through this wilderness, not past it and not over it, but through the wilderness, the rough patches, the hard places, the dark nights, the wastelands, the dusty, dirty, sandy places? So I thought that for today, it just might be helpful for me to name some wildernesses out loud and get them out in the open. Some of these wildernesses I have encountered myself, others I have been witness to, and then I'll offer a blessing for that wilderness experience. Kate Bowler has me all into blessings these days. There's a wilderness called grief, a place of such deep sadness when death is the hardest on the living. The amount of pain is often in direct correlation to the amount of love, and there is just nothing that matches the pain of the loss of the experience of another person right here beside you, with you, on this earth. All the heavenly talk is lovely, but it does not take away the grief of the pain of the lost sound of the voice, the missing laughter, the lack of companionship, the lost everydayness 
of existence. We have the memories, yes, and thank God for that. But honestly, grief is one of the most wretched wildernesses that exists. So blessed are you who grieve. May something, some memory, some moment come flooding back to you that fills you with one brief minute of gladness that you ever knew your beloved person at all. May your tears be a salty balm of healing and may there be laughter, plenty of laughter and storytelling and calling names. There's a wilderness called poverty, a place where some have no idea how they're going to pay the bills while some have no idea where they will sleep tonight or from where their next meal will come. For some, it's a paycheck-to-paycheck existence that every single day is just exhausting to survive. Blessed are those who are poor, who are sick and tired of being sick and tired. May they catch a break. May they be the recipient of generosity and may it happen through us. May they find the strength to keep on keeping on. There's a wilderness of shame a place where the past seems overwhelming and casts a shadow of humiliation and embarrassment for mistakes made or violations incurred. This wilderness includes a low self-esteem that can bleed over into self-loathing. Blessed are those who cannot make eye contact and their heads hang low who believe they are not worthy to be loved and who think of themselves as damaged goods. May they see themselves as God sees them. May they look past their past and claim a truth that we all need to embrace. God's love is unconditional. You are so very loved no matter what, period. And somehow, may that be enough. There's a wilderness called cancer. A place where that C word and any number of other diseases changes your life. Forever. The diagnosis is a marker. Even if treatment works or if surgery removes, Even if remission takes hold, nothing ever takes away a doctor saying you have cancer or you have diabetes or you've had a stroke or you've had a heart attack or you have Parkinson's or you have fill in your blank. It's a gut punch that will last forever even if the prognosis is favorable. Your life has been altered by bad news and you are forever changed. Blessed are you who can do hard things. Surgery, treatment, scans, infusion, rehab. May you find a sense of peace 
to carry you through your hardest days, and may you rediscover hope in ways that are no longer simple and magical, but rather are real and hardcore. There's a wilderness called rehab, a place where recovery, while possible, seems unlikely because addiction is insidious. How many times can one start over? As many times as it takes. Hoping against hope that this time will be the time for clean and sober to stick one day at a time until tomorrow is another day at a time. Blessed are you who battle cravings and dependence on substances to make it through the day. May God grant you the serenity to accept the things you cannot change, the courage to change the things you can, and the wisdom to know the difference. There's a wilderness of unemployment and underemployment, a place where vocation is interrupted or halted, leaving one to feel bored or useless or untapped. For those that find fulfillment in their work, for those that should be paid more for their labor, for those that need something new to fill their time, for those whose identity is wrapped up in their job, blessings on you as you find your cog in the wheel that keeps the world spinning in meaningful ways no matter what your job is or is not. To borrow a line from Frederick Beatner, may the place God calls you be the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. There's a wilderness of broken relationships, a place where divorce and breakups and estrangement cause an emotional avalanche of despair and sadness and disappointment and rage, moving in and out of those emotions on a roller coaster of all the feelings. Blessed are you as you maneuver your way through stormy relationships while tending to your own broken heart. May you learn to trust others and trust yourself again. And may you allow yourself to risk love even while knowing the extreme courage it will take to allow vulnerability to be a part of your life again. There's a wilderness of doubt. A place where nothing makes sense and the temptation to try to make it make sense leads you down a path that dismisses mystery. Blessed are you who will never settle for easy answers or trite responses to the big questions of this world. May your faith actually be strengthened by all the honest doubt. And may you not be afraid to question God, trusting that God can handle it and most likely is honored by your thoughtful engagement in faith's journey. Have I covered all of your wildernesses? No. Can you believe there's still more out there that I could say? More paragraphs I could add to this sermon? But hopefully I've gotten you to think. 
where am I wandering around in some desolate, dusty, sandy wilderness, struggling with myself and or God? It is in the wildernesses of our lives where we yearn for blessing. Our text ends Jesus' wilderness experience today with these words, suddenly angels came and waited on him. So in whatever wilderness you are in, may angels come to you and wait on you in whatever way they can, be it through me, be it through another, be it through a sunrise or a sunset. May angels come to you through a mountain stream or a symphony orchestra or a game of pickleball or perhaps in a sanctuary made for worship. Or perhaps angels might come and wait on you on some sandy beach as you watch the waves roll in. May you find God and know this blessing in a deep, deep way. All shall be well, and all shall be well, and all manner of thing shall be well. May your wilderness be a place to pull away and get your head on straight. May your wilderness be a place where you take a deep breath and pull yourself together. May your wilderness be a place where you gird your loins and ready yourself for the task ahead. And may you get out of all of your wildernesses the strength that Jesus did. May it be so. Amen.